Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just What we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. There is nothing that gets Berkeley residents more riled up than laws on homelessness. We are doing horrible things to those people. Housing is a human right. You need to really lay off people that are unable to defend themselves. The latest happened Tuesday night, where the city council doubled down on its ordinance to clear homeless people's stuff off the streets if it wanted to. Advocates for the homeless say this criminalizes them. City leaders always say they need to clear out homeless encampments because they're unsafe and because they're health hazards. We have used public health as the reason to clear out a lot of these encampments. But there's another way to look at using public health to address homelessness. To watch their home get destroyed by a front loader. It just feels like we're not meeting the tenets of what public health is all about. Today, we'll hear from one Bay Area doctor who wants to convince you that housing is healthcare. I'm Devin Kadayama. Welcome to the Bay. In cities like where I live in Berkeley, where there are all these RVs that are, people are living in and uh, tent encampments along the highway, I think the answer is we need to make sure that we have available, accessible housing that's dignified and permanent for everybody. And we have to do that now. My name is Joshua Bamberger. I'm a family physician and associate clinical professor of family and community medicine at UCSF. Dr. Bamberger is also part of this new homeless research initiative at UCSF. It's being funded by a $30 million donation from Salesforce CEO Mark Benioff. I've been a family physician taking care of homeless people for 30 years, and nothing I have in my black bag improves the health of a homeless person, not treating their diabetes, hypertension, screening for cancer. Nothing I have in any study that we've ever seen among homeless people improves health outcomes other than housing. Now, what specifically about housing or not having a home what does that do to the human body? Can you like walk me through somebody who may be housed currently, you know, 
falls on bad times, loses their home, what might be actually happening to their body over the years? When you're on the streets living at the level of stress that we really have no experience with except in war, the body is not able to fight off the normal things that make us age. So in many ways, people who are 50 on the streets, which is the average age of homeless people in San Francisco these days, act like they're 70 or 80 in terms of their health care needs. And that is partly because having been on the streets for so long, our immune system just gets ruined. When I began in 1989, the average age of homeless people in San Francisco was in the mid to late 20s. And now the average age of homeless people in San Francisco is in the early 50s. And it's, it's been a big this, difference. It's a huge difference in the health problems that people are suffering with because of aging is also very different. Uh, and why that has happened and how the economy has impacted the increasing age of homeless people is a, a fascinating and disturbing trend. What are we talking about with in terms of how quickly you mm -hmm. see improvements and, and what percentage of people do you see improvements in? I mean, is this, how do we prove that? Right. Obviously, it's not a, a silver bullet. People die. That's something they fail to teach you very often in medical school, but yeah. it is the truth. Um, but what I have seen, particularly when we look across the portfolio of housing that we have in San Francisco, and uh, you know, one of the things that is not known very well is that we have more supportive housing per capita in San Francisco than any city in this country. So we have housed a lot of people. And what that mm -hmm. gives us scientists an opportunity to do is to assess different housing as it impacts people's health. When did we first start hearing about the idea, uh, the intersection between housing and healthcare? I mean, since time immemorial in some ways, right? I mean, in some, in some ways we always knew, and every animal on earth knows that the first thing they need to do is to house their family. So it's kind of a funny question, right? In terms of doing evaluation studies that looked at sort of quantitative outcomes, it really has only been the last 10 or 15 years. And, and the data really isn't that good because it's a very hard study to do. It's very hard to study the healthcare outcome for people who are in housing and then have a comparison group that is on the streets and that you're not helping, right? So if someone gets sick on the streets, it's really our commitment to go out and find a way to improve their health, which may be housing. So it's very hard to have a comparison group to do a good study. Well, now it sounds like we have a lot more research or at least some research to stand on to talk, at least have a conversation about the intersection between housing and healthcare. But I imagine when the idea was first conceived, mm -hmm. there wasn't this amount of research? That's true, but neither research nor sort of de definition or e existential issues. So, for example, I worked at the United States Interagency Council on Homelessness for at the end of Obama's uh, first term. And during that time, I, I met with the head of Centers for Medicaid and Medicare. And I said to him, why don't you spend Medicaid dollars on housing? Because that's the only thing that works. And he said, housing is not what we do in healthcare. That is not healthcare. We do other things. And that existential definition has shifted over since that time, where many people from Bernard Tyson at Kaiser to uh, the head of CMS these days is embracing the fact that if we want to improve the health and spend our dollars wisely, we have to spend the money on housing people who are sick and on the streets. Mm -hmm. 
what do you think has happened over the last several years to shift people to thinking about uh, housing and, and uh, healthcare as one and the same? I mean, I know obviously there's still a lot of really important minds to convince. <laughs> a lot of people don't see that as the goal of the healthcare system. As I said, you know, it's, it's still there are 16 places in the Medicaid regulations that states you can't use Medicaid dollars for housing. So until and those regulations were you know written in the 60s. Yeah. So until those regulations get changed, we're always going to be stuck in being able to use our healthcare dollars most efficiently and effectively. Mm-hmm. I think the biggest problem that we have our biggest challenge that we have is fairness. So if you're a low-income person in California and you've saved and scrimped to be able to just survive in an apartment, say, in San Francisco, and then along comes some guy who's a chronic alcoholic who's, like, using a lot of emergency room visits, and we decide we're going to just throw some money onto that person to give them the same housing that you have struggled all your life to earn. A lot of people feel that that's not fair, and I think that's quite reasonable. I think we need in the homeless advocacy world to embrace that that position is fair and just, and yet we still need to find a way to use our resources so that the fairness can be honored and we can take care of the people who otherwise won't get off the streets without help. How do you balance that? So I I think the biggest strategy that we need to do is similar to what we've done with Proposition C, which is to try to find a way to tax the extraordinary wealth that is in the Bay Area, to serve people who will not get off the streets without more revenue. So we have 72 billionaires, maybe more, I haven't checked recently, in in (laughs) the Bay Area. Uh, And that amount of wealth is not being used to improve the common good. So we have to honor the fairness where the opportunity to bridge that gap in fairness comes from the wealth in the city. And it is the cause in many ways of the new influx of homeless people in this city. In the last four to five years, about half of the new homeless or what we call economically homeless, people who have been able to stay in apartments, but because of the increase in rent and something tips them over, they end up on the streets. So the study that my colleague Margot Cushell has done in Oakland shows that half, about, of all the people over the age of 50 who are homeless weren't homeless for a day until they were over the age of 50. So this is very different than the young people who I've been trying to serve all these years who've gotten older over time, as we all do, uh, but have lived with all these illnesses. And when we house them, we keep them alive. These are new homeless people, basically the people who have built Oakland and built San Francisco, who are now being on the streets of our cities. Do you have any idea how many people are going to be aging into homelessness? Well, it's a, it's a, a hard question to predict easily, but I don't think that we have reached the crest of the number of people who are going to fall into homelessness in this city. I mean, right now, our best guess is that for every person we house, three more people become homeless. That is just, you know, drowning. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's daunting to think about. It's overwhelming and hard to get up sometimes in the morning to do this work (laughs) when you feel like you're just, you know, struggling against an economic 
uh, wave that is just impossible to beat back. As I said, the average age of a homeless person in San Francisco is around 52 right now. When you look at all the people who die in San Francisco are homeless, their average age is 53. Now, that isn't the same as life expectancy. That's just the average age of death among uh-huh. homeless people. But there is a relationship, obviously. Yeah. And we're getting to a point where many of the older homeless people are dying at really high rates. So, you know, one of the ways yeah. that we're tragically going to get out of this uh, epidemiologic increase is through death. I imagine a big part of looking at uh, healthcare and housing it together is this idea that it might be cheaper in the long run. The, the pocketbook seems to be a, a, a big part of any argument for a solution. Yeah. What is the reality of what this could potentially mean for healthcare costs? You know, I think it's really hard to have a return on investment where investing in housing is going to somehow pay off. For a variety of complicated reasons, it's one thing is this wrong pocket problem. You'll reduce healthcare costs, but the costs that your expenditure is coming from is in housing, and they're not in the same budget. But uh, honestly, I am over trying to make the argument around cost for the reason to do housing for homeless people. We don't make that argument in anything else in healthcare. We get a new medication that comes across that will help someone with lymphoma. And Genentech may charge us $50,000 in injection for that. Do we say, oh, gosh, is that, you know, we're going to get a return on investment? And then someone makes the argument, well, Genentech stock will go up. That's good for the economy, blah, blah, blah. I've been trying for 10 years to make this argument that it's less expensive. And that argument may be able to be made in a certain subset of the highest users hmm. of the healthcare system. But in some ways, I feel like I have undermined the more powerful reason which is this is you know a human rights reason. These are our people, and we can do this without much sacrifice, I believe. I also don't want to ignore the impact of racism on homelessness. In, in San Francisco, if you're African-American, you're much more likely to be homeless than any other population. So the rates of, Afri- of, of homelessness, uh, of African-Americans in the homeless population is about 36%, while the general population in San Francisco is only 6%. So it's six times greater likelihood of being homeless if you're African-American. That isn't just because of bad luck or family disconnect or some other reason. It, it's because of the racist Uh, policies that have been in place in this country really since slavery and the impact of trauma on families that gets pushed through generations and then redlining and then the lack of of, of wealth among African-American families all leads this much higher rate of homelessness that we have to attend to as a justice issue. So we all know that the Bay Area is an incredibly expensive place Mm -hmm. to live, and we know that there's a lot of people who are homeless here, Mm -hmm. um, which is just daunting to think about how many more units we need. So what makes you think that homelessness can be solved? Yeah. Um, I think it can be solved because we have the resources, the wealth that needs to be redistributed 
in the right way. And perhaps more importantly, is that we need to ask the people who are living on the streets what it is they need and want. And it doesn't necessarily have to be the expensive apartment that is been the answer that we have done for the last 20 years. There may be other alternatives that will give people a decent permanent place to live that isn't necessarily $650,000 a door. Whether that's outside of the Bay Area or inside the Bay Area, we need to figure out other ways to use our resources more wisely. Now, it's not an easy proposition, especially as we continue to bring in another IPO here and another IPO there, pushing up the rental costs for everybody. Um, So it is a struggle. I will not pretend that it is going to be easy. I mean, you know, one thing that we often forget is that as these rental costs increase, someone's making more money, right? And I think there must be some way to be able to take some of that existing wealth and redistribute it to people. One of the ways San Francisco is trying to redistribute this wealth is through taxes. Voters passed Proposition C last November, which taxed the wealthiest corporations to pay for homeless services. And next week, the San Francisco Board of Supervisors will vote to put another proposition on the ballot. This one is a salary tax on companies that pay their CEOs a lot of money. And the idea is to provide any resident who needs it universal mental health services. Joshua Bamberger is an associate clinical professor of family and community medicine at UC San Francisco. I'm Devin Kadiyama. That's it for the Bay. Talk to you Friday. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out the Bay Curious book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on the Bay Curious podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find the link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. You get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit Donate dot kqed dot org slash podcasts to sign up now that's podcast with an s thanks